We're in the midst of this series uh, called Masterpiece, and we're going to finish that up today talking about the way that God turns us into the masterpiece that he intends for us to be. But before we do that, I just need to find out some information from you for, for a second. All right, There are generally two types of people in this world, and I'm going to ask you in a minute which one you are. And so I need you to, for some of you, I have to give you notice that you may have to raise your hand. Okay, And so I'm going to ask you in a moment which one of these two types of people you are. You, you don't have to raise both hands, because for some of you in a Baptist church, that would get really weird. All right, but You raise one hand. and uh, So here, two types of people generally. The first type of person is somebody that believes that the only time that you can decorate, listen to, entertain thoughts of, watch Hallmark Channel movies of, anything regarding Christmas is the Friday after Thanksgiving. All right? No Christmas until the Friday after Thanksgiving. There are others of you that think when Cracker Barrel puts it up in June, I'm okay. All right? Or, or when Halloween's over, Christmas. All right, so... If, who of you, I'm going to raise your hand for this, who are you are the Friday after Thanksgiving, Christmas begins, alright? And who of you are wrong and believe you can play it whenever you want to, alright? Christmas every day, right? And so, um, I was reading this really cool story about Christmas this week. Um, there's this town in uh, Minnesota called Moorhead, Minnesota. Anybody ever heard of Moorhead, Minnesota? Anybody ever been to Moorhead, Minnesota? In our first service, we had like eight people that had been to Moorhead, Minnesota. Because only we have northerners in our first service is what happens. We have people from Minnesota here. But Moorhead, Minnesota is this little bitty town up on the, on the edge of the border between, more, between Fargo, North Dakota, Moorhead, uh, Minnesota. And as you can imagine, during the winter months, Moorhead, Minnesota is a bleak place. Like it's cold and dark. It's way up north. And they have a college there called Concordia College. And Concordia College, one of their kind of staples, one of their traditions for the last 85 years, is they do a huge Christmas concert. And so they have a big choir and do a concert. And the people of Moorhead, Minnesota, are invested in Concordia College's Christmas concert. So much to the point that they have offered for the last 85 years to do the background for the concert. And so what they do is every June or July, they rent out a space, the people of the town do, they have somebody design their work, and then from the middle of June or July until all the way into the Christmas concert in December, people from the town, teenagers, young adults, median adults, senior adults, come in, and it's like a paint-by-numbers thing. They tell you, here's your section, here's what color, here's your paint, paint this. And so over the course of five or six months, the entire town is invested in this background that goes up behind the choir. And I read that story and I was like, that's really kind of a cool thing. And then in my mind, I think, I wonder what it looks like, right? Like, uh, my vision is, was not great, right? Because it's, it's people like me, and I know what I would do. And then I saw what they do. Here's an example. Like, that's pretty cool, right? Here, here's another one. Like, these are people. I don't know if y'all know that or not, but these are, these are not part of the painting. These are people. But so you can get a scale of the size of this thing. Here's the last one I'll show you. Look at that. They make them to look like stained glass. And just to give you scope, I mean, that's a lot of people in the choir. Look how huge this thing is. And as I read that this week, and I, I was kind of like, that's cool. Let me look at it. And I looked at it. I was just overwhelmed with what people coming together can do. Color by numbers, put it up, and it becomes 
a masterpiece. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about God creating us as a masterpiece. In fact, the, the verse that we've been using really is Ephesians chapter 2. And it starts at the part where people love to quote about how we're saved. And it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And that's also, that's a great verse. It's by grace, it's through faith, it's not of us, there's nothing we can do about it, we can't earn our salvation. Well, then the next verse just blows me away. This is where we are His workmanship. You've been around for the last few weeks, you know, we've talked about the word, the, the fact that that word, in the original language, really means like um, work of art, that it is a masterpiece, that not, God's not just creating kind of a utilitarian form that you can press out hundreds of in a moment, He is uniquely crafting each of us into a work of art, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the last few weeks, what we've really talked about is, what are some of the ways? Not, this isn't a comprehensive list. In fact, you're not going to find this list in the Bible if you go, hey, where's that list in the Bible that Pastor can talk about? It's not in the Bible, but these are just things that I've observed in my life, that I've observed in other people's lives, that God uses to really shape us into the people He wants us to be. And we've talked about applying His Word to our lives. So reading His Word, delving into His Word, talking about His Word, talking about the Bible and reading it on a consistent basis. And how it, not just reading it, but then, okay, what is it telling me to do? Inner life discipline, so praying and fasting and meditation, working on the inner life that, that we talked about, if you remember, this was near the beginning of the, ser- the series, so some of you may have kind of put it in the background, but we talked about how Jesus talked to the religious people of his day and said, y'all are clean on the outside, but inside you're really dirty. You haven't done anything innerly. You're not seeking God inwardly. And so we talked about that God uses those kind of inward disciplines, the Things that we do in private to grow us. Talk about providential relationships. That God sometimes brings people into our lives. That sometimes God brings people into our situation that we wouldn't have expected or we don't know how they got there. Or it just kind of happens that God just kind of puts us together. And that those people really are people that grow us. That help us to move towards a better life with God. Now, in that week we also talked about... That it works the other way, that sometimes we choose relationships that are detrimental to our spiritual growth and that relationships have a huge impact on how we grow in our faith in the Lord. And then last week we talked about the fact that God uses trials of all kinds. We talked about James that says, kind of all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds and that God will use our most difficult moments to shape us into people that are following him. But today I want to give you the fifth one, the last one we're going to do. This isn't an exhaustive list, like I said. There are other things out there. But the fifth one that really I think God uses to begin to move you towards intimacy with Him and the life that you were created to be and the masterpiece that He wants you to be. If you've got your Bibles, um, you can turn in them to Acts chapter 8 or turn on your phone and get the app open to Acts chapter 8. We're going to look today actually... At, and it's, it's broader than this is the idea that we're going to talk about, but this fits right into it. We're going to talk today about the first ever short-term mission trip for the gospel. In Acts chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 26, and this is the, the theme that we're going to see through this. And I want you to understand this from the very beginning, and we'll talk about it in the midst of this as well. That God uses an ordinary Christian, an ordinary guy, a guy that is not an apostle, He's not a church leader, he's not a preacher, he's not a music minister, he's not a priest. He is an ordinary, what we would call today, layman. And he is the guy that God uses to take the gospel to the first foreigner in the book of Acts. 
He is the first one to take it beyond the scope of Jerusalem. And it's just an ordinary guy. And here's the conviction that I have. And this is the thing that I think that God will use. When you join God, when you join God in his mission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, he will grow you beyond what you can imagine. When you join God in taking his gospel to the ends of the earth, he will bless you beyond what you can imagine. See, for too many years, we've kind of thought of missionaries as special forces to take the gospel to the nations. In Southern Baptist Life, we support um, International Mission Board, and it's a great organization. It has about 4,700 missionaries around the world that are telling people about Jesus wherever they are in cultures that are completely different than ours. But if we think that somehow being a missionary is a separate call on the life of the believer, then we have missed the point of following Jesus. Um, Friday, we had kind of a unique opportunity for us, first time it's ever happened for us. Um, during the middle of last week, I got a, an email from uh, an assistant football coach at Arlington High School in Arlington, Tennessee. If you don't know where Arlington is, it is on the east side of kind of just east of Memphis. And so if you're going on 40, it's just off the interstate, just east of Memphis. And they were coming all the way to Nashville to play McGavick High School in the playoffs. And they were just looking for a place where they didn't they didn't have to... Uh, drive three hours, get off a bus and play a football game. They wanted somewhere they could get early afternoon and just kind of hang out for a little bit. And so we said, yeah, we can do that. And I, I said, I, I'll be glad to go up there and meet them. The, we found out later that the, the coach that had emailed me, I went to union with his wife and there were connections. And so it'd be cool. We'll go up there and, and meet. And so they brought like 105 football players plus all their staff. And they were here for two or three hours on Friday afternoon. Well, um, in the midst of that, Eli has to get ready for the youth retreat that's this weekend. And so Susan and Eli are packing at home, and I have the other three with me here at the gym. Okay? And so we're waiting, and they're coming in, and it's fine. They're, they're playing really well. But kids sometimes choose awkward moments to ask you deep questions. Like, have y'all noticed that? Like, they don't think, I'll just wait till a more, uh, a better time to ask this deep question. Like, when everything's settled, I, I'll wait for the perfect timing. They just kind of ask. And so we were playing, and I, I think they were playing hide and seek. And Maddie, as she's walking by me one time, she goes, hey, Dad, are you a missionary? I was like, what? You know, think about it for a minute. And I, I thought immediately about um, our trip to Los Angeles and Robbie Pitt, who asked every team that comes his way, um, how many of you have ever met a missionary? And the first part of the week, none of them raised their hand. And the whole point of the week is to say every single one of us is a missionary. And so I said to him, to, to Maddie, I said, I am. I'm, yeah, I'm a missionary. I, I tell people about Jesus where I am. I'm a missionary. She goes, I love missionaries. I said, that's cool, Maddie. Why do you love missionaries? She said, because they tell people about Jesus. I said, that's awesome. And then she looked at me, and she has this way. You dads that have had little girls know about this. They just melt your heart. She looked at me, and she said, I didn't think I could love you anymore. But I do, because you're a missionary. She goes, I love you the most. Well, actually, I love God the most, but you're like next. And I was like, that is fine, babe. Just keep me there until you're 40, and then you can maybe look for some guy somewhere. All right? But the point is, there's not this separate missionary class. In Scripture, when God calls someone to follow Him, He calls them to a mission. 
I mean, if you think about it, when he blessed Abraham and called him and said, I want you to, I'm going to make a people out of you and you're going to leave where you are and you're going to go to the land I'll show you. He then tells him in the midst of that promise, not only are you going to leave where you are and go to the land I'm going to show you, but I'm going to bless every nation on the earth through you. When Jesus calls him in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, when he says to the disciples, follow me, ordinary guys, fishermen, people that are out there making a living. He says, follow me and I will do what? Make you fishers of men. The call to salvation and the commission and the service of the Great Commission happen at the exact moment. Same moment. There is no gap between the call to follow Jesus and the call to engage in the Great Commission. And someone has said that, that following God is like getting sucked into a cyclone or a tornado. That at the same time that God sucks you into the middle of that vortex, He is also throwing you out into the world. That He is calling you in and sending you out all at the same time. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but the word missionary is never in the Scriptures. It is a word that we have made up. The word in Scripture is often the sent ones. And it does appear in the Bible frequently, and it applies to every disciple of Jesus. Basically, when you choose to follow Jesus, the two questions that you are answering is, are you trusting in Christ alone as your salvation, or are you willing to go wherever He sends you and do whatever He asks? The point is, Getting involved in God's missions is not something you do later or that you graduate into or is the 401 level of Christianity. It is in the original call to follow Him. Now look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26 with me. We are going to talk about a guy named Philip. And some of you know this story. Some of you remember this story. And don't, don't check out. We're going to kind of look at it hopefully in a little bit of a new way. But it says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Now you have to understand where Philip has been. Philip has been in Samaria in the midst of a revival. If you look just a few verses before this, Philip, who was a lay person, was not a church leader, was not an apostle, was just a lay person who was in the midst of telling people about God. He had heard about Jesus. He had been saved. He ended up going to Samaria. The first time any kind of revival breaks out outside of Jerusalem, Philip is leading it. And it tells us in the first part of Acts chapter 8 that Peter and John, the church leaders, are called to see if this is real. They get there to validate it and to clean up. And once Philip has brought this revival, he's been the man that God has used to bring this revival, then God says, okay, now time to leave. I love the picture here of the ordinary layperson gets the revival started and the apostles come in just to clean it up. Check on it. Make sure it's okay. And so it says, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Sometimes you have to think twice, because if there's an extra S, it's a desert place. And that's a completely different thing, right? This is a deserted place. I read this week, just to give you an idea of where he's in. So, he's in Samaria. Hundreds, if not thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. He's at the center of this movement. It seems like the perfect place to be, and God says, I need you to go. Where you got me going, Lord, wherever. Back to Jerusalem, you want me to show them what we did? Teach them how to do this? Do you need me to go a little bit further? There's Corinth, there's all these, these great places. You want me to go all the way to Athens, to the center of culture? I'll be glad to go to Rome. God says, I need you to go to Gaza. Now, here's how one pastor described Gaza, alright? Gaza was this little, nasty, out-of-the-way town. Here's the description. Like one of those old redneck towns you go through on the way to the beach in Florida. That has one gas station, a Hardee's, a nail salon, and a laundromat. 
And suddenly, without warning, for no reason at all, the speed limit changes to 25. And it's written on this tiny little sign, and there's nine police cars hiding behind a billboard, and you can just tell it makes their day to write you a ticket. Now, while they're writing your ticket, you're like, who lives here? What are you protecting? This looks like no kind of place. That's Gaza. Y'all don't tell the people of Op, Alabama, I have said anything about them, all right? And more than that, Gaza was a Philistine city. A Philistine city. Now, if you don't know biblical history, here's just the short thing. Philistines hated Jews. Hated. Anybody know the most famous Philistine of all time? His name starts with a G and rhymes with Eliath, right? It's Goliath, right? Huge giant of a man. That's the most famous Philistine. And so bottom line is this. God says, Philip, I want you to leave this amazing revival that is taking place right where you are, where I am blessing all that is happening, and I want you to go to Op, Alabama, to these people that hate you. It's way out of his comfort zone. It's way out of the comfort zone for any Jew. And what's more than that, it was way out of the way. Philip would have had to have walked. You ready for this? 165 miles to get there. 165 miles. Anybody walked 165 miles this week? No. I haven't. Unless you've run about four marathons, you haven't done that, alright? 165 miles. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south of the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a deserted place. Next verse. And he arose and went. Man, I... I wish my obedience was that simple. Philip, I know you're seeing amazing things here. It's unbelievable. I know. I need you to go. And he rose and he went. Simple obedience. I would ask too many questions. Like, like where, God? What, what are you doing? Like, could you, could you confirm some things for me first, please? Like, God, I, I'm not questioning you. I, I just don't know if you know how good it is right here now. He rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. Now, I know today we don't think of Ethiopia as a modern world power. In fact, my guess is there is an image that comes to mind when you hear the word Ethiopia, especially if you're around my age and grew up in the 80s in the we are the world time frame. What's the image that comes to most of us when we think of Ethiopians? Starvation. Kids that are out there. Dr. Oliver, who was here a few weeks ago, talked about these images. He'd been to Ethiopia of of mothers who were too um, exhausted and too famished to even swat the flies away from their babies. That's the image that we get here, this Ethiopian. But in their day and time, Ethiopia represented everything in Africa south of the Nile River. It was a huge area, a large culture, a large influential place in that world. And this guy is the treasurer of the whole thing. This is an important dude. He's an important guy. Now, there's a word in there we don't use a whole lot because we don't really have them today, but he was also a eunuch. Now, it shows his importance that he was a eunuch, and it gives us a clue into something a little bit later that we'll get to. But a eunuch, what does that mean? What does it mean he was a eunuch? Well, there's no easy way to say this. He'd been castrated. That's what it meant. If you got questions about that, you can talk to Alan Searcy after the service, all right? 
Now, here's the reason that they did that. It's because this guy was a leader of the free of, of his place. He was a treasurer. He worked with the queen of the Ethiopians. And they were very protective of their queen. And they wanted to make sure if any of these guys got any ideas, that they could not act on those ideas. Do you got questions about that? Jeff Kelly will be back at 3 o'clock today, all right? And so there's a eunuch, a court official of Candace. This is an important, important Guy, he tells us this in the next verse. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, for whatever reason, this guy was curious about the God of the Israelites. It wasn't because they didn't have religion in Ethiopia. They had thousands of religions in Ethiopia. They were part of the people that worshipped everything you could imagine. The sun, the moon, the rain. They worshipped animals. I mean, you've, you've seen the, the Egyptian God stuff, right? And all the history stuff or even movies. But for some reason, this guy had a sense there was more. And he was traveling to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. So he'd been to the temple. He'd been seeking this God. He'd been seeking Yahweh. He'd been seeking the God of the Israelites. Then he was on his way back, seated in his chariot. Now, let me just stop there for just a second. Because I grew up in a church that we used to use something called a flannel graph. Anybody, anybody know what a flannel graph is? You remember that? Okay, flannel graph was this board of flannel that they would stick people up to that would tell the story of what was happening, all right? And when I was growing up, the flannel graph story of this Ethiopian guy had him in this little bitty chariot, right? He's riding a little bitty chariot behind a horse and... You know, there's a guy there that's there. And, and some of the pictures, for some or no other reason, I remember some of the final graph had like a guy playing a ukulele over there with him or something. It was like, what in the, you know, it was all this stuff. But here's what I want to tell you, all right? It was 1,200 miles from Jerusalem to Ethiopia. And there is no way that a queen's official is riding in a little bucket for 1,200 miles from Jerusalem to Ethiopia and back. More than likely, he was on a huge chariot being carried by eight guys. Like, you've seen those pictures too, right? And so he's like on a couch or a bench up on the top. It's like the RV of the ancient world. And he's got eight guys carrying him along. And so it's not, you know, you kind of get this image out of your mind. Which also, let me just let me just comment on a, a, a racial issue here, all right? Um, whoever drew this cartoon, and I'm, I don't know who it is, but it, it's on the internet, so it's true, right? The eunuch would have looked more like this guy. You see how they've calmed his, down his coloring? I mean, he was an African. In fact, what we're going to see in this story, most of you know the end of this story, the eunuch becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. What we see in this story is that the first followers of Jesus were um, Semitic people, Arabic people. The second followers of Jesus were Africans hundreds of years before any Caucasian person came to faith in Christ. And so you have this picture here. You imagine that um, besides a horse that looks perplexed by what's this guy walking up here for, right? Um, He's being carried on these things. And so it says in Scripture that he had come to Jerusalem and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading, it says in the Scripture, the prophet... Isaiah, and the Spirit said to Philip. Now, there are sometimes when I read Scripture, and, and I wish 
I was like in a dialogue with God where I could just ask him a simple question. And the simple question I want to ask right here is, how? The Spirit said to Philip, how? How did the Spirit tell Philip that? The thing is, it doesn't tell us, but here's the amazing thing about the book of Acts. One of the things you find in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit speaks to people moving them into mission. The Holy Spirit is mentioned in the book of Acts 59 times. Anybody know how many chapters there are in the book of Acts? 28. 28. A little math, okay? Y'all ready for math? Okay? No, it's close to lunch. 28. If there are 58 mentions of the Holy Spirit, are there more mentions of the Holy Spirit than chapters in the book of Acts? Is 58 more than 28? Right? By, all, by more than twice that. So there are over two mentions of the Holy Spirit per chapter in the book of Acts. And listen to this. In the 59, I said 58, 59 mentions in the book of Acts, 40 of those, the Holy Spirit is speaking. The Spirit said to Philip, Acts 10.19, the Spirit said to Peter, go down and talk to these men. Acts 13.2, the Holy Spirit said to the church, separate from me Barnabas and Paul. Now, here's my question, alright? It says here that the Spirit said to Philip, and I believe, this is my theological belief, it's my understanding of Scripture, is that the Holy Spirit of God is the same Spirit today as the Spirit was in the time of Philip. Amen? I do not believe God changes. I do not believe that He is new. I do not believe that there is a change in Him. He was, He is, and He is to come. And so if the Spirit of God is the same Spirit of God that spoke to the church in 28 chapters of the book of Acts, 40 times it speaks to someone or the church, then the question I have is, why don't we hear today like they heard then? Now, I'm going to be honest. There are some differences between us and the first church. And it was a new work. And God did work in spectacular ways in areas that he may not duplicate in other times. But I can't believe that the one book in all of scripture that is written about how the church formed tells us that the Holy Spirit operates differently then than it does now. And so I believe that the Spirit of God still desires to speak today as much as he has ever desired to speak. And the question is, are we listening? Sometimes in Acts, he speaks through a word of prophecy, someone through someone else in the church, sometimes through divine vision, sometimes it's just a yearning God puts in our heart to do something. Are you listening? When's the last time that you sensed that he was sending you to a place, calling you to do something, asking you to speak to someone, or putting in your, something in your heart to do? Are you listening? And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join the chariot. Now, that's a bold move. This is a queen's official. It's obvious from what he sees. This is an important person. Look what Philip does. I love this. So Philip, what did he do? He ran. He didn't saunter. He didn't slow foot it. He didn't casually think about it. In their day and culture, you didn't run a lot. He Ran. You remember the story of the prodigal son? You remember that story, right? The son goes away and he's coming back. His dad sees him and his dad runs. If you look at all the kind of rabbinic literature of that day, you would have seen that what happens there is that the man running would have been a disgrace to his family because men didn't run. So Philip ran to him 
and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, can you imagine Philip's face when he gets over there? Oh, what he's reading. What is it? Oh, he is reading Isaiah. He says, hey, you got any clue what you're reading about there? Hey, buddy, can I help? Is there something you wonder about? And the guy says, how can I read unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You get that in scripture? Listen, if you still think he's riding that little bitty uh, chariot thing, riding about, like, why is he asking him to come up? If he's riding with eight guys carrying him and he says, hey, come on up, get on the couch, let's talk about this. Right? It makes more sense, amen? Apparently, two of you it does. All right. And you know there were four or five guys really ticked about this. Like, we are traveling 1,200 miles and he's picking up hitchhikers along the way? Come on, right? Like, what about the guys he has to climb on the backs of to get up there? Like, just hop on Johnny there. Get up on top of him, all right? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Here's what you need to know. And this is interesting, okay? In the midst of all that was going on in Samaria, big crowds, lots of people coming to Christ, God asked Philip, To walk 165 miles down to a nasty little town called Gaza because he's been preparing one guy to visit with him. You know that had to be confusing for Philip. God, I'm glad to talk to this guy, but this is it? I read a story this week of a guy. There's a great church in North Carolina. And there's the guy that started the church was a guy named Sam James. And Sam James was a guy that was called to be a missionary and called to be a missionary in Vietnam. After he was called, um, they had a son born, and the mission agency said, "Just, just if you'll let the son be born, once, you, once the son's a year old, y'all can, y'all can go. You can head over to Vietnam. We've already approved you." When the son was born, he, the son had a heart defect that was pretty significant, and it delayed their appointment by at least two years. And during those years that he was delayed, Sam James planted a church that is now responsible for sending out people. All over the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It just proves the point that what's happening to you may not be about you. And here's this guy, the Ethiopian eunuch, whom God had been preparing. Now God brings Philip to him. If you could just just see this real quick, that, that God does that in our lives. He prepares people and other people, and then he brings those people together when those people are willing to do what God calls them to do. Some of you may be here today and you think you're just here by chance or I got up this morning and decided to come or somebody invited me. And what you don't realize is there are questions in your heart that have been developing over the last several weeks or the last several months. There are questions in your heart that have never really been answered and that God has you here today for a specific reason. They're like the Ethiopian eunuch who's just traveling down the road reading a passage of scripture like I wonder what's happening here. And God is in the midst of meeting you where you are and saying that this is a day for you to hear. And some of you are like Philip. Maybe you're in a place where God's doing some really cool stuff or really good things. You wonder, man, God would never move me from here. But then you hear word that someone over here, or you get moved in a different place, or you get disjointed from what's happening, or you get you get moved out of a comfort zone, or you get your life turned upside down, and it seems like everything you thought to be true is suddenly untrue. What God may be allowing to happen or going to do in your life has nothing to do about you. Maybe about somebody else. Um, one of the coolest things about this, this story is that the Ethiopian is going to become a follower of Jesus. And tradition holds that he went back to Ethiopia and started what would become one of the centers of Christianity in the ancient world. All because Philip left a place and went a different place. 
we have to come to the place where we realize that God has a bigger plan in my life than we can ever see on our own. And sometimes while that plan is working out, it just doesn't make sense. And we just don't understand it. And we don't see how God can lead us through it. But in the midst of it, we are propelled into a place where He grows us and shapes us and uses us for His glory in a way we could have never imagined. And the most amazing thing about this moment is, the moment that Philip steps up to the chariot, look what the guy's reading. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Now, in our day and time, they would say, take your Bibles out and turn to Isaiah chapter 53 as we look at this. In their day and time, they didn't have Bibles like we had. They had scrolls. And he would have said, he walked up, and this is what he heard. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. It's straight from Isaiah 53. He's reading the Old Testament and he's reading a prophecy about Jesus that was written 800 years before Jesus was ever born and every bit of that had come true. It was all true by the time that Philip walks up to the chariot. Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah that would be a lamb led to the slaughter. He would be wrongfully accused of crimes he did not commit but he would not even open his mouth. And it all came true. If you look back in the Gospels, Jesus stood before Pilate. He was accused of the most heinous crimes. And when they asked if he had done them, he sat silent. Now let me ask you a question. If you're in a court of law and they ask you whether or not you did something and you don't offer any kind of plea, you don't say guilty or not guilty, you just stay silent, what is the assumed that you're doing? You're guilty. Jesus was conceding guilt. But not his own, because he had none. He stood silent. Because he was consenting to my guilt and to yours. He would be offered for my transgressions. Jesus was going to be beaten and punished and killed for our sins. And this is what the eunuch is reading. Next verse says this. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Can I tell you something about the reason that he really wants to know this? Because there's a good chance that on that same scroll of Isaiah 53, that Isaiah 56 would have been there, or he would have had that access to him. And you probably haven't read through Isaiah 56. We don't use it as Easter as much. But when the eunuch went to Jerusalem, remember he went to Jerusalem to hear about God. When he went to the temple, there would have been a sign. And this has been, con- this has been confirmed by archaeological evidence and all kinds of stuff. There would have been a sign on the outside of the temple, the outest part, most outward part of the temple. And a sign that would have simply said, no lame, no blind, no eunuchs may enter. No lame, no blind, no eunuchs may enter. But this eunuch had been reading from Isaiah, from this particular passage of Scripture, from this particular section of Scripture. And when you get to Isaiah chapter 56, verses 4 through 6, you can look it up later. He says, this is what it says. It says that Isaiah, the prophet, says that God declares, Let the eunuch no longer say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who embrace my covenant, I will give you in my house a name better than sons and daughters, an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Maybe this eunuch regretted his decision. Maybe he had given too much of his life to the queen and he finds himself cut off from God now and he reads that passage and he says is there hope for me is there a way I could be made right no longer let the eunuch say I am cut off from God no longer let the adulterer say or the prisoner say or the one that has done way too many things or the divorced say or those that have been guilty of some sort of crime say let no one say they have been cut off from God because of the blood of Jesus Christ we have all fallen away 
Guilty, vile, helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was He. And so the eunuch reads on Isaiah 56, then he says, is he talking about himself or is there some other person, is there some other way that I can be a part of a family? Verse 35 says this, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this particular scripture, which by the way, if you're going to start with a scripture, there are a few better to start with than that one. He told him the good news about Jesus. When reporters ask easy questions of people, they say they're throwing them what? Softballs. Or they've teed it up for them to use sports analogy. God lofted a softball to Philip here. The eunuch says to him, Hey, uh, can you explain this passage? Who's this about? I uh, read a story this week of a pastor named J.D. Greer who happens to pastor that church in North Carolina that the guy started when his son had the heart defect. We're doing a study uh, of J.D. Greer's on Wednesday night and uh, I was uh, reading, he was talking about encounters he's had with people through the Spirit's interaction, the studies on the Spirit of God. And he told this story about getting on an airplane and he was going to East Asia somewhere and um, the first leg of the trip was like a, a 11 hour flight from Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina to somewhere like Singapore. Okay? And so he's getting on the flight and as he's getting on the flight, he sits down, he sits down next to a woman and if you've ever been on one of those really long flights, you're always like thinking, alright, now what, I wonder who I'm gonna sit beside, right? You're always planning, I've got 11 hours next to somebody, let's hope this is a good match and all of that. And the woman sits down next to him and they start talking, you know, 30 minutes into the flight or so and he says, oh, where, where are you headed to? And she says, I'm going to Shanghai. And he said, why are you going to Shanghai? And he, she said, well, she said, it's gonna sound weird. He said, she's about 55 years old. She said, I, 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 I'm just kind of confused in life right now, and I'm trying to find meaning in life, and I'm really on a search for God. And J.D. Greer said, my first thought was, somebody in my church has put her up to this. Like, this, this can't be real, you know? Like, they just have it teed up like that. And so he said, <laughs> he said in the sarcastic way that he speaks, he says, uh, you think God's in Shanghai? Is that for your... She said, no, but I went two years ago and I was there and was really searching and seeking. And something happened to my family. I had to come home for a little while. My dad was sick. And while my dad was sick, I was driving around. And I, as I was driving around, I, I heard this guy on the radio named David Jeremiah speaking. And, you know, David Jeremiah, he's a, a preacher out in California. And he's got a radio program nationwide. And she said, and so I went to the bookstore and I bought one of his books. And it's different than anything I've ever heard of. And I'm about halfway through the book right now. And I'm really confused. I just wish. I've been praying that God would bring somebody into my life that could explain all this to me. J.D. Greer said, I was like, God, are you serious right now? This woman got put next to me for 11 hours. She's going to hear it for 11 hours if I need to. But he said, the thing is, about four hours into the flight, that woman gave her heart to Jesus Christ. Now he said, he said, I have people at my church come up to me and go, why does that stuff always happen to you? He said, here's the simple thing. He said, I'm Philip. I just tell the Lord, Show me the opportunities and give me the boldness to speak when they come. Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Next verse. As they were going along on the road to some water. I love this. So he's telling him all about it. This is Jesus. He goes through the whole thing of Jesus. He talks about Jesus. And they're going along. The eunuch sees some water. He's like, hey, look, there's a pond over there. Can I go get baptized? Notice Philip doesn't make him go through confirmation class or an eight-step program or he says, next verse, sure. He commanded the chariots to stop. They both went down to the water. 
Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, by the way, just another instance in Scripture where fully in the water, come out of the water. That's why we do it that way. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Wait, wait a minute. What? 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 All right? Carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. We'll talk about it just for a second, then we'll get the big point here. Because that's a little weird at the end, right? Do you get what they're saying? I got a flannel graph picture. This is the flannel graph picture right here, right? <laughs> like he's, he's gone. Like, baptized. Woo! Like, can y'all, can y'all imagine if that happened here, like this morning? Greg and Linda, good to have you. Baptized, baptized. I'm out. See ya, right? And it tells us in the verse, well, here's the crazy thing. It's not just that, but it tells us that he finds himself in Azotus, which was a long way away. Like Philip wakes up, it's like Star Trek, you know, beam me up, Lord, like real quick. Now, I don't know why, I don't understand that at all. Other than to say, you talk about an amazing, um, amazing testimony to the guys that are carrying the chariot, right? Like, where'd your buddy go? Uh, He's gone. I don't know. And it says the Ethiopian went away rejoicing. He preached the gospel. Look look what Philip does. He goes, oh, I'm in Azotus. What am I going to do? I'm going to preach. This isn't a preacher. This isn't a minister. This isn't an apostle. This isn't a church leader. It's just Philip. And he passed through. He preached the gospel to all the towns and he came to Caesarea. Now, here's the point, all right? The point of all this is this. That God uses Ordinary Christians, and I put that in parentheses because there's no such thing, although some of you think of yourself that way. Some of you think you're less than ordinary. God uses ordinary, less than ordinary Christians to do significant work. Significant work. And I believe that God wants to use you to do more than you ever think you're capable of doing. Philip was just a guy who ended up in a place where God wanted to move, and he listened to God, and he obeyed. And there, most of you in this room are two steps away from being used in an unbelievably mighty way by God. Two steps. First of all, you've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. And secondly, you've got to obey. And that's it. There are some of you that have friends that have been around you for a long time that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God's been preparing their heart. And God's been preparing you to speak. And God's had that prepared for about six months to a year. And you still haven't said a word. It's time to obey. There's some of you that you know God is moving in your heart to do certain things. Maybe, it, maybe it's even to join a church. Maybe it's to join this church. But God's saying, this is the place where I want you to do in order to serve and to be a part of that. There's no such thing in Scripture as orphan Christians. Like every one of them is a part of a local body of believers. And so God's saying, you need to be a part of this church and you just need to hear and obey. God uses ordinary Christians to do significant work. Over the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to talk about a couple of ways that God wants to use you. And we're going to talk about ways that you can be involved in international missions, sitting right here where you are. And some of you, that's all God asks of you, is to to pray and to to send and to to give and to, to do all that for the glory of His name across the nations. But I'm convinced that for most of you in this room, He has something bigger planned for you in our day and age. You were born today. You weren't born 400 years ago when travel internationally was almost impossible. You're born today when you can hop on a plane and be in Brazil in seven hours. 
And I believe that God wants to use more than most of you think. You in a way that brings glory to his name and reaches the nations. For some of you that means he wants to use you on short term mission trips. You're going to hear a lot about that in the weeks ahead. We do two big ones in our summer. We do one to Los Angeles, California. And we do one to Brazil. And and you're going to hear about that. And God is calling some of you to for the first time to do that. Some of you, I believe, God in this room may be calling to do lifelong missions or or at least for a period of your lives to go overseas internationally or somewhere in the United States and to do missions in a way that is intentional and that is what you're doing. God's calling all of us here, all of us, to be involved in taking the gospel right here where we are. God uses ordinary Christians to do significant work. And here's the thing that's... I love about it. As God works through you, He also works in you. As you go, He changes who you are. We started this whole series talking about God creating us into be a masterpiece. And uh, over the last few weeks, this is the first week, Laura, because she abandoned us to go to youth retreat, right? Laura is not here painting. Now, her finished painting is out in the hallway. If you want to look at it, you've been wondering what all it turned into. It's out in the hallway so you can see it a little bit better. But I intentionally said I want her to put that in the hallway and I want to put a blank canvas on stage because God is wanting to create a masterpiece a work of art out of your life and turn you into this thing that he shows off his grace and his mercy to the world and that he uses you for the glory of his name and the truth is we are like a blank canvas when we come to the Lord and we start allowing him to mold us and to shape us and to use us and the question I ask at the end of this series is this are you willing to let God shape you into who you're supposed to be and are you willing to simply obey whenever he asks let's pray together in just a moment bob and lydia are going to come back up and they're going to lead us in a time of response and i'm just going to ask you to do that to respond maybe for you that's just a commitment right there where you're sitting maybe that is just saying to the lord right there where you are lord i I know you've been asking me to talk to this person or lord i know you've been asking me to go to this place or Lord, I I don't know exactly what you want to do, but I feel like I haven't been as open to you as I need to be. Or, Lord, man, I just feel like my life has been in a mess. And I can't imagine how you could use me to do anything. And I I just pray, Lord, that, that today you would help me to see that you want to create a masterpiece of my life, of your grace and of your mercy. And so I, I just ask you in these moments to... If that's it, if God's saying just right where you are to make those kind of commitments to Him, then that's between you and the Lord. But perhaps he's asking you to do something more public. Maybe it is that God is asking you to join this church. This is where God's asking you to be a part of. You don't even really understand what all that means. I'd love to talk to you about that. I'll be standing right down front. Or maybe it is for the first time in your life. You're like the Ethiopian eunuch. You've been thinking about God. You've been wondering about God. But you've never accepted the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. What we see in that passage is that it's really simple. You make two, two things. You trust that Jesus alone paid for your sins. And you trust that Jesus is Lord. You make those two declarations and you put your life on it. You stake your life on it and you rest in that. You can be saved. Maybe you're here and you saw Greg and Linda get baptized, Vicky, last week. Maybe you've never had that. You've never been baptized. You've never gone in the water this morning you say I've been saved I've accepted Christ as my Savior I've never taken that step and there's nothing magical about the baptism other than it shows the world your commitment to the Lord I compare it sometimes to a wedding ring 
My wedding ring doesn't make me married, but it shows the world that I am. Baptism doesn't make you a follower of Jesus Christ, but it shows the world that you are. So maybe you need to come and say, I'm ready to be baptized. I'm I'm ready to do that. Maybe you're here and you feel the Lord saying, it's time to go. It's time to give. It's time to do more for the sake of the gospel internationally. And just maybe you come and pray here at the front. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. And during that time, I'm just going to ask you to respond.